Today's sermon is entitled First and Second Thessalonians. Now we're going to continue on with the exciting sermon series that we started out with, and we've already gone through some of Paul's teaching, but today I want to focus on the Word of God. Now, when you open up your Bibles, and I hope and pray you have this feeling, this sensation, that you are reading words from God himself. They are Holy Spirit-inspired. They are God-breathed. And when we read God's Word, the Holy Spirit, at least for me anyway, and I hope it's true for you, He leaps with joy. And He tells us, this is the Father's voice. Every single word that you read within God's Holy Word. And I got thinking about how great and wonderful God's Word truly is. And then I got thinking about our responsibility. Now, we go out into the world, and we're supposed to always be ready to give the reasons why we have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to go go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And, And we're supposed to do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's very easy to get out in this world and see all of their sin and write them off. It's so easy to do that. It's easy to look at them, and according to Scripture, it says this in Romans 1, 28 to 30. You know, they're gossipers, they're slanderers, they're God-haters, they're insolent, they're arrogant, they're boastful, they're disobedient people. They have no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. It's easy to look at everybody and say, you're never going to make it to heaven. Therefore, why should I tell you about the Lord? That's easy to do, but that's not the right attitude. That's not the way we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to think as Christians that all of our preaching and our teaching and our demonstration of God's love in our life, that it's vanity. That's definitely not true because the Lord says this. He says, you got to get out in the world and look and see that the fields are ripe. Despite the fact that they are lost, the fields are very ripe. Despite the depravity of ourselves, despite our own sin, despite the fact that we've fallen short of God's glory, he came and he broke into our lives. And because of his grace and his mercy and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we got saved. We got born again. This can happen and does happen to other people in the world, of course. And we've got to know that. We've got to understand that God can save anyone through Jesus Christ. Christ, anyone, no matter who they are or what their circumstances are. Despite them living on the broad path of destruction, surely Christ's ambassadors are called to take on the attitude of Apostle Paul. And he said, you know what? I see these people and I realize the image of God inside of them. And Paul said, I want to reach them the very best that I possibly can. Do you have that attitude towards the people that you meet? And I got thinking, you know what? For instance, Paul said to the people, he said, in the face of multiple gods, thousands of different Roman gods, in the face of people that were worshiping the emperor, he stood up and he said, this is what I think about God. And he said, you know what, the reality is, is that I'm not going to follow your gods. I'm not going to worship the emperor. I'm not going to have sexual relations with other people. Paul said, I'm going to stand out as a light unto the nations. Apostle Paul preached the word as one who was making an appeal. He said, I know you are image bearers. I know that you have the potential to be born again. Yes, Christ died once and for absolutely everyone. And Paul's sitting back saying, I know you can be born again. You just got to believe. And he's out there and he's saying, I am giving you a message. The message is one of reconciliation. The truth is you can become born again too. And Paul went out with the word of God and he said, you know what? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to return again. He's actually waiting, giving us every opportunity, humanity, to be saved. And that was Paul's message to the world. And while many will remain lost, you know what? The truth is that many people are going to hear 
the shepherd's voice. They're going to hear about Jesus Christ through us. And as a result of that, many are going to become saved. And Paul says, I thank God continuously, Paul says, that a lot of you became saved. And he said, I thank God for each and every one of you. And the truth is, is that Paul didn't take any credit for that. He said, ultimately, this was the work of God himself. His word is true. It is timeless. It's, it can transform. It is, it is so beautiful. It's like a love letter, and it is from God himself, telling us how to have good and holy lives, telling us how to reach up and say, Lord, please forgive me. I want to be part of your family. God's word is amazing. It's not by the empty rhetoric of opinionated philosophical people that Paul said you're going to become saved. It's, it's not our thoughts and our words and our deeds when we follow the ways of this world that are really going to make us bright or shining or beautiful or that we're going to be accomplished. Our real accomplishment is knowing God. Our real accomplishment is bowing our knee. Our real accomplishment is becoming born again. Nothing, nothing in this world matters except that. That's the number one decision we must make. His sovereignty, his love, his grace, his forgiveness is all given in his word. And when we read that, I hope and pray that we're bowing very low to God and saying, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. But we got to share this truth with the world too. The Lord died for the sheep, for all the sheep, those who are his enemies and those ultimately that were not. And you know what? I know the Bible says, you know what? The ones who are not his enemies are called sheep, but the ones that are still his enemies are called wolves. But they are also the ones with potential because they can still get born again. Absolutely. Praise be to God. What a wonderful and beautiful message Paul had. He didn't write anybody off. He looked at all the people and said, I know you're bound to multiple gods. I know that you bow to the emperor, but I know you can be saved too. Just believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Is that your message to the people that you meet in this world? Or have you written them off and said, you know what? I don't think you can possibly be saved because you're too far gone. Well, the truth is, if Jesus had that attitude towards us, none of us would be saved. Now, why don't you think about something about salvation? It can be deeply disheartening to witness to countless individuals who continue in their sin and they wander on the broad path of destruction. And you know what? The reality is when we put a lot of effort into other people telling them about the Lord, it can be very sad and very depressing when they don't say, yes, I want to know Jesus. And it can become very demoralizing. And as a result of that, a lot of Christians actually give up and they say, you know what? This world's too sick. It's too evil. It's too wicked. Their minds are too depraved. Therefore, why should I tell them about the Lord? After all, am I not casting my pearls before the swine? This is the way sometimes we think as Christians. Or sometimes we're like Elijah who sat back and he looked across the lands and he said, you know what? I'm the only one left who really loves God. Well, I got news for you. Many people in this world, millions of people in this world love God. Very much so. And the truth is there are many people, millions of people who are born again and others that really want to know Jesus. And they got the seeds of righteousness planted all in their lives. And they're just waiting for somebody to come and water those seeds. And then for the Holy Spirit just to grab a hold of them and they're going to become born again. That's exciting. I hope it is for you. And despite their mindsets, despite the fact that they are gone right now, despite the fact they don't love the Lord, doesn't mean they can't love the Lord and they can't be redeemed. So think about the salvation that you have. What does it mean to you? 
And why are you not offering it to the world? Let our hearts be filled with joy, joy, knowing that ultimately our faithful words, our upright lives, the power of the Holy Spirit can work in and through our life and theirs as well. And sit back and say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Whatever I do, my labor is never in vain because I'm doing this for you. I'm telling them about you because I love you dearly and I love them too as well. Today's sermon is going to talk about the Word of God. I get excited about the Word of God because I don't, I'll be honest, I don't read it enough. I certainly don't. I wish I read it a whole bunch more and I'm working on that. But the truth is when I read the Word of God, the Spirit just leaps within me. And I love this letter from the Father in heaven. It is a beautiful love letter. And I hope you feel that way. And Paul's saying to the church at Thessalonica, the Word of God is real. And that's what I want to start off with. I want to start off with the people of this world, according to scripture, do not become saved until they hear the word of God. We are the hands and the feet of the Lord. In other words, we are the ones that go out with the glorious message of reconciliation to this world. We are called to do that as Christ ambassadors. And so we want to do that. We want to tell the world all about Jesus. But we got to get out there, don't we? We got to tell them. Now, I got thinking about walks. When I have time, I love going for walks, and I really enjoy that very much so. My dad's in a nursing home right now, and he said that uh, a couple of days ago, the weather was actually good enough that he could go outdoors and go walking around the nursing home, and he was absolutely elated. I could see it in his face how much he enjoyed that walk out in nature and talking to God. There are many things in life that we enjoy, many places and things we like to do, many places we like to walk. Two, and we get great joy from doing it, such as when you walk down the aisle to get married. Did you not feel joy? I hope and pray that you did. I hope you sat back and said, this is an incredible journey I'm about to go on. And when you went to pick up your firstborn child or any of your children, and you saw the smile on their face, and they're holding their arms way up, and they want to be picked up and hugged, that's a beautiful feeling. You walk over very quickly for that, don't you, to give and receive some love. And what about dinner? Something as simple and as easy as dinner. It's wonderful when you see this beautiful dinner and you walk up to it really quickly. You sit down and say, it's time to eat. You know, there are many things in life that we enjoy walking to. I got thinking about what about a walk on the beach? Just enjoying the nature that's all around us. God's beauty that he's ultimately given to us. But I think ultimately the walk that we've got to enjoy the most is whatever walk the Lord gives to us. The truth is, is that the sheep will know and understand the master's voice. But the ones who are not sheep, the wolves, they need to hear that voice. They need us to plant seeds of righteousness within their lives. They need us to get out there and tell them the reasons why we have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if nobody is speaking, no Christian is speaking to this world, then how are they going to hear the glorious message? If they don't see us as being different than them, if we're not living good and holy lives, if we're not distinct and separate from them, lights under the nations, how will they know that God exists? I agree that all nature testifies to God's existence. At least they got a roadmap, but you know what? We got to take them from that roadmap of wondering, why am I here? Where is God? Is there a God? Does he exist? Why is this world here? Who's holding everything together? They got questions. We got to get out there and tell them the answers. We know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
When we tell others about the good news of Christ, we speak through the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we plant seeds of righteousness in their lives. And I think that is absolutely beautiful. And I don't think we always get to see when somebody gets born again. There are many people, I'm sure, we planted seeds of righteousness and somebody else watered them and they grew and the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold and they got born again. And we may never even know that, but we still, our labor was not in vain. And I got thinking, here's the problem. Numerous factors contribute to the fact that we tend to be like this fellow here with tape across his face and we don't want to speak. There are a lot of Christians that don't give reasons why they have hope. The reality is that the teachings of Christ, you know, really, they're different. They're not the same as the world, are they? And the truth is the teachings of Christ actually confront this world that they are sinning and they've fallen short of God's glory. And as a result of that, this world doesn't like you hearing the message. And sometimes, to be honest, we as Christians, we get a little bit fearful of them and we don't want to speak the message either. We like this guy in the picture. We got tape across our face. Sometimes uncertainty, timidity, or or actually we sit back and we say, you know what, I'm not sure if I'm really committed enough to go out in the world. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know what, maybe I sin too much. Maybe I'm too blemished. Maybe I've fallen too far short of God's glory. Maybe I'm not a good enough Christian to get out in the world and tell them about Jesus. Therefore, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'm a bad witness. How about asking God to forgive you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and then get out in the world and tell them that you're born again? This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to go out in faith and obedience and tell the world all about him. I got thinking the primary deterrent of Christians for sharing the good news is, is they think somebody else should do it. They think, well, maybe the pastor should be the one always going out and telling people about Jesus. Or maybe it should be the deacons. Or maybe the Sunday school teachers. Or maybe it should be the older people who are far wiser. They think somebody else should do that responsibility, give the reasons why they have hope. Somebody else, but not me. But that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, always be ready to give the reasons why you have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go and make disciples of all nations. Let your light shine and so on. There's so many scriptures that says, get out there and tell them about Christ. While Paul, <clears throat> Silvanus, and Timothy were the ones who initially planted much seeds of righteousness within this small place called Thessalonica, it, it grew. It grew, the seeds flourished, and it grew, and a lot of people became born again in a very Roman, pagan-loving, emperor-worshipping environment. They had an environment very similar to that of our own, just as wicked, just as evil, and a lot of people got saved from just three individuals who spent only three weeks in that area. Never think for a moment that your labor's in vain. Always realize that if you plant a whole bunch of seeds there is a harvest that will come about. And I got thinking about that. At times, one is deeply, deeply enamored with the Lord. And, and, and I think that those times when we are should be, especially in front of other people, we should always love Jesus. But when we're in front of other people, we should express that love, not hide that love. And I think ultimately we got to go out the world and say, Jesus loves you. That's our message. Jesus loves you. And you know what? The truth is, is that we plant those seeds. It says in the Bible, a promise that's very beautiful and says, yes, some of those seeds are not going to really ripen. In other words, you're going to throw the seeds there and some of them are just not going to, nothing's going to happen. The people are going to ignore you completely. They've been given over their debased minds. As a result of that, they're not even going to listen to God's word. Yes, that is true. And the word tells us that. But it also says for the seeds that do grow, 
you're going to have a crop of 30, 60, or even 100 fold out of those ones that do grow. That's exciting. I don't know about you, but just one person becoming saved because of my testimony, that's huge. That makes it all worthwhile. And I got thinking about this. I got thinking about multiplication. The truth is, is that multiplication is huge. I want to tell you just a little quick story here. I got thinking, you know what? Do we really believe that God's word has been completely snuffed out in this environment? Sometimes we think that. When you look at the television set and you see all the wars and all the pestilence and diseases, when you see all the various different religions that are out there, all the different philosophies and thoughts that people have, it's very easy to say, you know what? I don't know if God's really out there. Is he still active? Is he still in charge? Is he still sovereign? Do I still see him working here? And sometimes we foolishly think that, you know what? I'm not really sure. But the truth is, yes, he's sovereign. And yes, he's still working. And yes, he's still active. And yes, he is making a huge difference out in the world. And we got to get out there as his hands and feet and make that difference. Not even Satan himself can stop the gospel message. It's very clear in the Bible. What did Jesus say? Peter, upon this rock, I will build the church and not even the gates of hell will touch it. In other words, what he was saying is, Peter, on me, on my foundation, on the cross, on the foundation of my death and my resurrection, nothing's going to stop me from spreading that good news. I am going to ask my disciples, which we are, born again, to get out there and tell everybody about Jesus. Are you doing that? And I got thinking a few years before the war, a humble villager in the eastern Poland, this fella, he gave a Bible out to someone. Now, you often think that if you're going to give out a Bible, what's going to happen? Maybe something does, or maybe the person just takes the Bible and throws it in the trash. I'm sure that happens way too often. But this fellow, in great faith, goes out and he gives a Bible to this little a person in a small village. Think about that for a moment. Not a big metropolis place, just a small village. Hands out one single Bible, that's all he had, and gives it out to this individual. And this individual read it, which is surprising. And I'm sure this fellow was elated later on when he found out. And he was converted. And he passed that book around to other people. Through that one Bible, 200 or more people became born-again believers. When the person returned, a guy named Michael Bilster, and he visited this town again in the summer of 1940, a group of people that worshipped God fiercely Show up, and they look at him and say, oh, there you are. You're the one who planted the seeds. You're the one who told us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for God's word. We're so excited about this. And here's where the story gets really interesting. Billister ultimately suggested to all of them, he said, how have you been doing with God's word? He suggested to them, are you reading it? Are you obeying it? Are you reciting it? Are you memorizing it? And here's where the testimony gets really good. They said, oh, you have no idea. Let me tell you. There was a man who arose and he said, you know what? I have studied. I have memorized verses and chapters of God's holy word. I have put them to memory because we only got one Bible. Therefore, if I want to be reflecting on God's word, I got to memorize it. Another guy pipes up and says, oh, by the way, I have memorized entire books of the Bible. He says, the guy's going, wow, I haven't even done that. And sit back saying, this is great. Another fellow bites up and says, I have studied all of Matthew and Luke and put it all to memory plus Genesis. Another one pipes up and says, I'm still memorizing God's word and I'm excited with every word that I'm reading. 
He passed it around family to family. This Bible was so torn and so tattered that it was falling literally apart. And the guy's looking at all of them going, your faith is great. And he realized one Bible that he handed out made all of that difference. Why? Because the words of God were internalized in that person's heart and they shared it with others. Are you doing that? Are you doing it with the, with the expectation that, yes, that can happen in your life too as well? God can use you to plant seeds of righteousness for a crop of 30, 60, or 100-fold. Do you believe that? I mean, honestly, do you? Because if you don't believe that, then you're not going to want to go out in the world. And you're not going to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're not going to be excited about it. And you're not going to be passionate about it at all. Now let's think about this for a moment. When Paul went out and he told people about Jesus, was it just human words? And that's my second point. Paul makes it very clear. What is God's word? As we read it, it's communication, isn't it? There are words in it. And it's tempting to say it's just human philosophy. But Paul says otherwise. We live in a world that's very elusive. We live in a world where there are multiple opinions, thoughts, and ideas about everything. We swim around, so to speak, figuratively, and unending a bunch of opinions and thoughts and ideas about everything that you can think of. It's almost like if me and you get in a room, then we're going to have at least 10 different opinions. And some of those opinions that I have will be contradictory to myself even. And that's true. The truth is, is that when we're in the world, they've got different philosophies, different ideas, different thoughts. And sometimes this noise gets so intense that people forget that absolute truth exists. Matter of fact, if you take a poll, majority of the people will say, nobody really knows what is true. What is true for me may not be true for you, but as long as I respect your opinion, all is good. I wouldn't agree with that. God's opinion reigns supreme. Only God knows the truth, and ignoring his truth, of course, is not okay, not even slightly. And I got thinking, when we get out in this world, we got to understand that there's a lot of broken promises that this world has received, and we all have received some of those broken promises. Like the deceivers in Paul's era, they were peddling a whole bunch of Roman gods. And those gods would ultimately say that, you know, you're going to have great wealth. You're going to have lots of offspring. You're going to have lots of crops if you only bow down and worship these foreign gods. And, of course, the people soon found out that wasn't true. And the reality is, is that a lot of them didn't get any of the promises fulfilled whatsoever. They were broken. Why? Because the gods didn't exist. Not at all. Not even slightly. And the truth is that Paul came across all sorts of these individuals. And, and they tried to entice these, these uh, they, Paul called them charlatans, but these individuals of the world try to entice us with their promises. They say, you know what, if you just work harder, you're going to get more money. Or if you just try a little bit more, you're going to be more successful. Or if you do the things the way that I did, then you're going to be a much happier person. There's so many promises out in this world that get broken constantly. And it's not like our brains aren't capable of figuring out things for ourselves. Over 80 billion different nerve cells. I don't know how many specifically. I couldn't find anyone who knew the answer, but there's lots of them. This roughly three-pound brains that we all have are impressive, very impressive, and capable of figuring out many different things, and I think so. You know, I got thinking the absolute, the greatest intellects of our society must be impressive. They certainly are. If you go back 100 or let's say 200 years, or let's go back a century, let's go back a thousand years. And if, if you, that person could get into a time machine and come to our century, what would they see? 
what would they think about a telephone? That would be quite staggering. You mean I can actually stand there and pick up a plastic device and talk to somebody who's a thousand miles away? How's that even possible? What would they think about an airplane? What would they think about a computer? What would they think about artificial intelligence? These are things that for a thousand years ago, they might have been thought about as a possibility, but maybe not even at that point. And they're sitting, they'd be sitting back saying, oh my goodness, they would be speechless at some of the advancement we've made. Who amongst us can speak with authority, though, when it comes to what really is true? I got thinking about Job. Job felt that he was in the right. And he felt that he had done absolutely no wrong whatsoever. So he gets in front of God and, and he basically says, you know, God, come down here and tell me why you let all these things happen to me because I don't think I've done any wrong. And God goes and shows up and he says, oh, by the way, he says, brace yourself like a man. Job 38.3. I want you to tell me the complexities of this world. You obviously think you know more than I do, Job. And you obviously have decided that I'm guilty of treating you poorly. And, you know, God says to Job, you know what? Show me. Tell me, speak the truth. Tell me what you think you know. And of course, the reality is, is that he didn't know anything. And the truth is this world doesn't know the truth, but God does. And that's what God's word is. God's word alone is true. It's unfailing. The truth is, is that if we want to know why we're here, why we exist, who we are supposed to serve, who holds this world together. Is there life after death? Some of the biggest questions we could ever possibly ask is contained within God, God's word because God is the only one who has the right to tell us what truth is because he's God and he is sovereign and we are created in his image. Ultimately, God's word exposes hypocrisy and emptiness of every man or woman made attempt to create a philosophy or make a promise, ultimately, that they cannot keep. Though we are created in God's image and a little lower than the angels, this doesn't mean that Satan was right. The truth is we're not like God. We're not capable of knowing everything about God. We're not capable of knowing the things that he knows. We are not sovereign, that's for sure. We're not in charge of everything, even though some people think they are. And the second thing is, is that not only are we not sovereign, but we don't know everything, not even close. When you think about it, the moment that you die, you'll know more when you get to heaven than you ever did on earth, no matter how much you did know or not know. And I got thinking about this. Advice is easy to come by, isn't it? That's very true. Everybody will tell you how they think you should live your life. But here's the question. How should you live your life? What guidance ultimately should you take? I think it should only come from the creator. When it comes to living our very best life possible, how often we seek the advice of other people. Should we not go to God first? The truth is, is that God's word illuminates our path, tells us how we're supposed to live our lives in order to please him. He knows everything seen and unseen. So why wouldn't we go to him instead of this world? And it says very clearly that the world's knowledge is foolishness in God's sight. When we go through the valleys of tribulations, how often we ultimately look to the world for solutions when we should be looking to God and saying, how can I make it through this very dark night of the soul? Our guidance is supposed to come from God's word. Let's go on to point number three that Paul makes. And Paul says this, all scripture is God breathed. Paul is trying to basically hammer down on some of the other points he's already made. Every single word of God is inspired by God. Now I have a fellow at work and I won't use his name. I want to keep him anonymous. 
but he's he's a, uh, somebody who doesn't believe in God. And he basically said, you know what? How do you know the word of God from so many different people is actual? How do you know it's right? How do you know their opinions didn't get into the word of God? How do you know politics didn't influence what was written? How do you know it is really true is what he was asking. And I had to explain to him, God's word is his word. He breathed. In other words, he told the people what to write. And this is his message to us. It is divine. It is not human at all. And this is what Paul is trying to tell the people of Thessalonica. When one calls upon the name of the Lord, one doesn't do so in a vacuum. We do it in the context of proclaiming the good news we do as Christ's hands and feet to this world. We're commissioned by God himself, by Christ, specifically uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, to go. Go and, and tell everybody about this glorious message of reconciliation. No one who had spoken to the Thessalonians the way that Paul ultimately did. There were many philosophers of his day that were trying to peddle their own version of the truth, which was really falsehoods. But nobody could speak with authority because only God's word is authoritative in the first place. The word of God, it's not just words of a philosopher to be held up, not a human system of ideas that's supposed to be up to our scrutiny. His word is absolute in his truth. Now think about that for a moment. Some people read God's word, even Christians, and think, you know what, I'll pick and choose certain pieces of God's word and I'll believe those pieces. But when something offends me or it identifies my sin, I'm not going to believe that part. I'm just going to throw that piece out and just keep on going. But God's word is not up to our scrutiny. We, As human beings, we don't get the right to read God's word and say, okay, that part's real and that part's wrong. We don't get the right to do that. Why? Because we're not God. Only God can tell us what is true. And every single word that's in there, every phrase, every verse is absolute truth. And we got to realize that. The author Hebrew says this rightly. He says, for the word of God is active. It is real. It is alive. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing the soul, the spirit, the joints, and the marrow. It judges our thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. This is the Word of God. That's why when you read the Word of God, when people do, especially the, the wolves of this world or the goats, you know what the truth is, is that it penetrates their hearts too. And it tells them you're not living the right life. And that's why it says in John, John makes this comment. He says, when they approach the light, they don't like it. Why? Because it shows them they're not living good lives. God's word is awesome and amazing. Paul praised God. That was not him who spoke to the people of Thessalonica. It was the Holy Spirit speaking in and through him. They, and this spirit of God told them that if they would be like little children and trust and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they would become born again and saved. They had to believe in the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And then they would go from death to life. All they had to do is make Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives, and ultimately they would become part of his family. Talk about a glorious message. But that was all spoken, not from Paul's wisdom, but from God's wisdom and through the Holy Spirit. God's word is to illuminate our path so that we might find solace in our beautiful, wonderful creator, that we might learn from the master how to love him and to love the people of this world. Though the Bible may not encompass the entirety of God's wisdom, and it certainly doesn't, it serves as a beacon to the divine truth amidst all sorts of fleeting philosophies that don't even come close to measuring up. It is not filled with empty promises like this world has for us, but instead every single promise that God gives will always come to fruition. In its pages, we discover the timeless essence of God's grace and guidance, offering a steadfast foundation in this ever-changing world.
Paul, in his journey of faith, diligently worked out his salvation with reverence and awe, recognizing the gravity of his situation. He was a sinner saved by grace through faith, as we all are. And Paul went out in the world and he said, you know what? I love you. I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, but I love you too as well. And we know in 1 Corinthians 13, the infamous love chapter, that if we don't have love when we go out in the world, if we don't love the people that we meet, even if they are not saved, which majority of them are not, then we're never going to be able to reach them because our efforts will be futile for without love, it doesn't matter. It's like our words, it says in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, they're like uh, gongs or clanging cymbals or bad music or bad voices. And that's really what it is. The world will ignore us. But if we go out in love, that's a different story. You know what, Paul thanked God for infusing his mind, his heart, and his soul with the divine truth and enabled him to communicate with the voice of angels to the various people around him. And with great love and his steadfastness to the Lord Jesus Christ, he told them, be reconciled unto God. In a society saturated with the worship of countless gods, Paul loved for them, propelled the message forward. And that message was be reconciled. And there were a lot of people who got saved and they're still being saved today. And I got thinking, what significance does God's word hold in your life? Do you ultimately receive it, not just as human words, but as God's word? And do you allow the words of God to transform your very life? I would much sooner see the people inside of my church actually live one single verse than memorize them all and not live them. The truth is, is that God's word is meant for us not to amass knowledge, but to actually live for the gospel message. And the truth is, is that we've got to righteously live our lives. But the only way we can do that is ask God. And he tells us how to live good and holy lives. Are you captivated by God's word so much so that like the psalmist, you meditate on it day and night? Do you see it as the ultimate source of truth? Is it a leading and guiding light to keep you from sinning? Or at least identify your sins so you can say, please, Lord, forgive me? Do passages on forgiveness move you to tears, rejoicing in their transformative power of, you know, faith and grace that is ushered in to your life? And the fact that you went from death to life has got to be extremely exciting. For the answers of life's most difficult questions, do you seek God's word or do you decide, you know what, I'm going to check with the world and see what they think? I hope you seek God's word first. And the last point that I want to make is that we got to live God's word. It's one thing to intellectually understand God's word. It's another thing to live it. You see, the Pharisees memorized God's word. They understood it very well. Paul himself, he said, I'm the chief of all Pharisees. I'm a sinner, Paul said. I'm the chief of all sinners too as well. And he said, you know what? I memorized God's word, but that didn't do me a bit of good. Why? Because I wasn't living it. Because I was looking at myself. I was trying to get salvation through self-righteousness. And that just doesn't work. And Paul said, you know, I had to have faith in the atoning sacrifice of Christ to be saved again and be part of God's family. Are you born again? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you realize that it's so important for us that the word of God is meant to come into your heart and transform you? Isaiah 55, 11 says this, My word will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding ultimately in the matter in which I send it. In other words, God's word is meant to change and to transform our very lives. The gospel transcends philosophical mus musings. It's so significant. It's so real within our lives that we got to sit back and say, Thank you, Lord. Instead of us looking at God's word and saying, I might read it once in a while and I might, you know, Check it out. we got to see it as a source of our very life. There's a power in it to change us. 
It really does, especially when we obey it. And that's the important thing. And James says, uh, he says, you know what? The words will be empty if you don't want to obey them. If you don't read them with intent to obey them, why read them? Why memorize them? He says, it's like a person looking into a mirror. And when you see your face and realize, oh my goodness, I forgot to put on my makeup, or I forgot to comb my hair, or I forgot to wash my hair even, or, oh, I should really brush my teeth. If you look into a mirror and you don't change anything because of the image that you've seen, then what was the point of the mirror? And that, let's be honest with ourselves. You are a sinner saved by grace through faith. And every single day you need to ask God to transform you and to change you. We need to ask him every single day, forgive me for my sins. I ask him every day because the truth is I sin every single day. Apostle Paul rejoiced for the Thessalonians that were invited to allow God's word to transform their very lives, to challenge their thinking, to change their hearts, to transform the way in which they live their lives so that they would get the fruits of the Spirit. And you see them there, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who wouldn't want all these things in our lives? We all do, but the truth is we got to bow to Jesus Christ in order to get there. Embracing the authority, the deep, manifold, inexhaustible truth of God's word is very important. The truth is, is that we've got to sit back and say, I can be more than conquerors. I can be blameless. I can be pure if I just read God's word and obey it. And every time I fall short of his glory, I ask him for forgiveness. I can be a light under this crooked and warped generation, Philippians 2.15. And we certainly can be, even though some days we don't feel that way. In a world that has so many different philosophies, thoughts, and ideas that are competing for our attention, there's so many different versions of supposed truth that a lot of people just drown out all the noise because that's the only thing they can do. We got to get out in this world and we got to say, you know what? Their version of what they think is true is going to give you empty promises and they're going to break those continuously. And you need Jesus. And we got to tell the world about Jesus. Our understanding of the truth is that if it's to be a sweet offering unto God, we got to be living the truth. We got to get out in the world and say, you know what? I'm going to show you what Jesus means to me. Why? Because I'm living for him. I'm certainly trying. I'm struggling, but I am trying. And I've been empowered by the teachings of Christ. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, my life is different than it was before. Let me show you. Let me tell you all about it. You know, that's a beautiful message. Are you telling the world that? Are you telling them ultimately that you are born again in love with Jesus? Are you telling them? I got thinking in conclusion. The truth is, is the good news is really good news, isn't it? And it should compel us because when we see our lives, the way that we live our lives, the corruption, the evil, the sins that we do, and that yet, as soon as we say, please forgive me, we get washed as white as snow, I'd like to think we're getting out in the world and we're telling them, oh my goodness, God, our creator, the only God that exists is filled with grace and mercy, and he wants you to be born again. It's easy for us to get in the world and see this world as gospel, haters, insolent, you know, mad and angry people that are disobedient. And we can write them off very quickly as a bunch of swine. But the truth is, that's not what God wants from us. He wants us to realize that our evangelistic efforts when we go out in the world is never in vain. And the truth is that when we tell people about Jesus Christ, yes, for some of them, they're not going to listen. That's just true. But for others, it's going to be seeds of righteousness that we're planting. And as a result of that, there's going to be a great and wonderful and beautiful crop, whether we see it or not. It's going to be great and wonderful. Upon reflection, we humbly recognize that without the beautiful feet that go and tell the good news, they're not going to hear it. So go out and tell them about Jesus and live for Jesus so they might see the glorious and wonderful light that you have inside of you, the Holy Spirit, Christ himself. As ambassadors of Christ, purchased 
said that Costa is very life. We're obligated to get out there. We're obligated to tell the world the message of reconciliation. And we're, we're supposed to get out there and tell them your philosophies, even though they are a little bit frightening and scary because you really thought them through, they're nothing compared to God because God alone has wisdom and your thoughts and ideas are foolishness in his sight, but he still loves you and he still wants you to know him. And if you just get the Holy Spirit within you, if you just become born again, you would read his word in a completely different light and you'd realize it is authoritative. The confidence that we need comes from the Holy Spirit when we get out there. Because the truth is, we're nothing without Jesus Christ, but everything with him. And when we get out in the world, we don't need to fear the, the, the devil who is in so many people out in this world. And he does roar like an outline, and he does try to rip people apart, but we don't need to fear him. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So we got to sit back and say, you know what? I'm going out there with the authority of God himself to speak the good news to the people. With boldness, humility, we got to get out there. we got to say, God loves you. And tell them all about them. Are you doing that? I know that's not very easy. And now, truthfully, that if we're going to take out the radiant hope that we have and plant seeds of righteousness, that's a really tall order to do. And it's very difficult. But the truth is, we got to do this. Why? Because God loves them. God saved you. Now it's time to get out there and plant those seeds. So are you doing it? There's the question. Many Christians, the answer is no. But I hope for you the answer is absolutely. And then what you need to do is go out and speak with authority, with love, in great humility and gentleness, all about the Lord Jesus Christ, and then rely on the Spirit to pierce their stony hearts, to transform their minds, to change them from relying on empty promises, but instead relying on Jesus Christ himself. And you know what? For many of them, they won't come to know Jesus, but others will, and you will see a crop, if not in this lifetime, the next. So get out there and tell the world, Jesus loves them and wants them to be saved just like he saved you. Amen and amen to that.